The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, drinks entrepreneur Tom Gamborg, founder of Van Hunk's South African Sparkling Wine, is my special guest. We'll hear how he built a new brand from scratch, why he chose Method Cap Classique, and why he's also created a sparkling mead. Uh, Plus, later on, Freddie Bulmer is back. We'll have his uh, insights into life as a wine buyer. And of course, later on, we'll have your medal-winning recommendations from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. How do you go about creating a new drinks brand from scratch? It was the middle of a COVID lockdown when Tom Gamborg launched Van Hunks, but he wasn't going to let that deter him as he set about creating a new brand to launch a sparkling mead and to reinvent Method Cap Classique, South Africa's underrated and often great value traditional method sparkling wine. Uh, Tom has been in the drinks world for a decade with his drinks marketing agency Skoll. He's a brand consultant for Don Papa Rum as well. Uh, So he's a busy man, but I'm delighted to say he has found the time to join us now on The Drinking Hour. Tom, welcome. Good morning. Great to be here. Well, thank you for uh, sparing us uh, some some time. First of all, back to the beginning. Tell us how you got into the drinks world. Uh, Why did you choose to go into drinks? Drinks actually came to me, to be honest with you. I was uh, out in South Africa at the time and I was working for an advertising agency. And uh, the advertising agency was called Owen Kessel. And their main account, one of the main accounts for the agency was... Uh, a company called Brandhouse in in based in Cape Town, and Brandhouse was the distribution company for the Diageo brands um, and Heineken and a few other brands in in South Africa. And so I, through that, worked on a few very exciting brands, particularly within the African market. Um, Ciroc being one of those, uh, Johnny Walker Blue Label, and a fantastic whiskey called Singleton. And gained my valuable experience uh, from 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 that time, and it kind of snowballed from from there really. And I, I just I got the the drinks bug, so to speak, and um, and haven't really looked back. And you've had a hand in some really interesting brands, just going through your CV, uh, including Black Cow Vodka, uh, which. Um, is I think a, a dairy-based vodka, isn't it? Yeah, the the black cow was. Um, I was actually on holiday back in England from when I was living in in South Africa. This would have been yeah right at the beginning, about eight years ago, and um, I was in a restaurant in in Cornwall, and I was talking to the barman. It was actually Jamie Oliver's restaurant, fifteen, and. Um, you know, I'm always looking at the back bar. Once once you get into drinks, you become obsessed with the back bar, the shop, the the shelf space in supermarkets, and uh, the back bar in, uh, in in Jamie Oliver's 15 in Cornwall had this really interesting product. And I asked the bartender about it, and I said, "What what is that?" And he said, "This is uh, this is a milk vodka." I was like, "Come on!" And then he uh, explained the process. They take the whey and they take the curds and then they use the whey to uh, ferment and, and, and create the vodka. And I just thought that is so cool and so innovative. And um, 
We were right at that start of the gin wave and people were talking a lot about gin, but they weren't talking about vodka. And uh, I thought Black Cow was really out of the game. So I then got back to South Africa and I found out about the uh, the owner, which is a great guy called Archie. And um, when I moved back to, to the UK, that was one of the first uh, jobs I did was was helping Black Cow with their sort of development in, in London and uh, been uh, in contact with the guys since. And uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, vodkas and uh, it makes a great uh, moutini if uh, anybody's tried one of those yeah it's a great product and it's a medal winner too i know uh, it's we've mentioned it before it's had top medals at the uh, iwsc as well so a, a really uh, well-made uh, product um, let's talk about another don papa rum uh, one of yes. the other successful brands um, that you're still i think associated with uh, established a decade ago tell us about this one yeah, Don Pepper was part of. Uh, I then moved back to the UK I did, after doing a, a short stint actually with Black Cow. I then moved to a company called Quintessential Brands uh, UK, which at the time was when I joined was called Marblehead. They had their own own brands, which is the likes of uh, Opeer Gin, Bloom Gin, and, and Greenells. But we were also just distributing some third party brands as well. And um, one of those brands was uh, was Don Pepper. I immediately. Like the Black Cow story was seduced by the brand, the story, the liquid. And being a, a marketeer, you you really sort of look for these uh, these these tick points with the brand. And um, from from that point on, I, I've continued to to work on the brand, and it's it's quite astronomical growth uh, within the the rum market, uh, both uh, in the UK and, and and the rest of Europe. And um, Stephen Carroll, the uh, brand owner, I owe a lot of my uh, knowledge and and understanding of the drinks industry. I, I owe him a lot for that. And uh, he continues to mentor me in that space. Um, and uh, he's he's been a, a great help on on this journey, and uh, he's a total visionary when it comes to creating brands. And um, with Don Papa, he has created more than just a, a you know a liquid. He's created a brand that uh, people really buy into and, and become real advocates of, almost ambassadors. You know, we see with Don Papa, you get these absolute diehard fans who have their the Don Papa tattoo. There's so many, so much you can take from Don Pepper, and so much I continue to take from Don Pepper about how to how to do it right. It's uh, a lot of patience and uh, a lot of craft in uh, getting it to the right space, uh, which people can can learn from. So yeah, Don Pepper, I still continue to to work on Don Pepper, not as much as as I used to, and uh, I I used to be one of the leads in the in the marketing space, but uh, now very much a consultant. But it's uh, it's a fantastic brand. I am an ambassador myself. Um, not that I get paid for that. And uh, yeah, continue to be enjoyed uh, around the world. Um, so yeah, mm. great success. Yeah, it is an amazing uh, looking product as well. The all the materials that, um, that support that brand are are, are incredible. Uh, the reason uh, you give less time to uh, Don Papa, presumably, is because um, you have um, other fish to fry now. Van Hunks, um, yes. tell us, um, this is your latest project. Uh, tell us um, how that uh, came about. So Van Hunks uh, was, the idea was um, fermenting, uh, excuse the pun, back in 2012 when i was living 
in Cape Town. And um, in living in Cape Town, we we were all, you know, drinking this amazing liquid, which was uh, Method Cap Classique. And um, whenever you go to a dinner party or you go to a drinks party or, or even going into the into the, the, the trade, people were drinking Methicap Classique at really affordable prices. So it was quality at affordable prices. And even back then, I thought to myself, God, this stuff is, is fantastic. I'd never really been a big champagne drinker, but I think I'd never been brought into the champagne category. Uh, I'd obviously always liked the liquid, but it, it seemed sort of uh, unreachable. So um, the idea was to to the idea then stemmed to to create a, a really cool, fun, exciting brand within the uh, Method Cap Classique category, which is actually now moving to to, to be known as, as as Cap Classique. And um, and yeah, I just sort of I wasn't ready at the time. Obviously, I still needed to go out into the world and into the industry and and understand a lot more about it and learn from the likes of Black Cow and Don Papa and Opia Gin and. Uh, what I've managed to do now over the last 10 years is, is take all of those learnings and, and, and put it into to, to this brand. And the basis of the brand is, is to, to, as I said, to, to create a brand that brings in, in, in more people into the category. I mean, we would, uh, we would say it's, it's South Africa's equivalent to, to champagne. Um, and what I'm trying to do with the brand is mix, uh, do a mixture of style and substance. So we have this brand um, which looks, which looks great. Well, I think looks great. Um, hopefully, most people agree with me. But mm, there- it does. It does look great. It really does. Yeah. And then is is backed up by um, this, which is backed up by really delicious, innovative uh, uh, liquids, and uh, that's where um, my business partner in this project, uh, the 12th generation winemaker, Matthew Croner, comes into the picture. And uh, when I finally decided to do the project back in 20, well, the end of, beginning of 2019, sorry, the first part of, uh, of getting this right, because the liquid is so important to me, was, was finding the right partner who was a, a champion in, in bubbles and, 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 uh, and, and Matthew was the, was the guy. So we have gone from, from there and um, I was actually introduced to uh, Matthew by a, a mutual friend of mine. And um, the best part about this is that when I first uh, approached Matthew, he basically laughed at me and, uh, and uh, thought I was an idiot. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's been, a, I basically had to sort of court him I think, you know, as he says, I eventually talked him into it and he started to understand what I was trying to do with it, create this brand within Method Cap Classique that people who who wouldn't normally drink this style of liquid uh, could could really buy into. And um, and so we started on the project and um, and then it came down to finding the, the right liquid partners, but also creating the brand and uh, the, the creating the brand was a was a really interesting journey as well. And uh, that's sort of where we got on to from about 2020. And what's with the name Van Hunks? So if you were a Catonian, you would probably know about uh, the, the name Van Hunks, although since since finding out a lot of Catonians don't know about the myth, the story. But Van Hunks, the legend of Jan Van Hunks, uh, was a retired uh, 
retired uh, gentleman, retired pirate, who used to smoke his uh, pipe at the, the base of uh, Devil's Peak, which is adjoined to, uh, to Table Mountain. And uh, the myth goes that uh, one day when he was smoking his pipe, uh, a hooded character came up to him and asked him for a, a light of his pipe. And the hooded character turned out to be the devil. And the devil then challenged uh, Jan van Hunks to a pipe smoking contest. And they say the smoke that was created from that pipe smoking contest is what creates the tablecloth, which is that mountain that sits on top of Table Mountain. And after spending so long in, in researching and trying to think about what, uh, what, what the brand was going to be about, myself and the fantastic agency Drinksology that I was working with in, in Northern Ireland. We just love the story because what it allows you to do in, in the brand sense is it allows you to use Van Hunks, the person, as the front of the brand, but then it also allows you to open up the, the story, the brand story, into Cape Town, the Western Cape, and all the wonder uh that 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 offers from the the scenery to the vineyards to to everything and so he's he's sort of the carrier for a really exciting brand and we're really at the sort of very embryonic stages of how we're gonna open up that brand and or open up the brand and the reception to it has has been fantastic because people can see what we're what we're trying to do with it um and uh that is the um that's the the best part about it for for me um because we are um really trying to promote as well how fantastic this this liquid is it's just using a slightly different carrier for that so uh yeah that's how van Hunts came about and um uh there is a bar in in cape town funnily enough called van hunks which some people think the association is with but it's it's, it's sadly not although we will be selling it there as well so uh, yeah that's the the, the story so how important is it to have a, a story or a person attached to a new brand? Yeah, so I think having a, a person and, and story is, is so key to the brand. Uh, I mentioned it with Don Papa about having these ambassadors for, for the brand and having a, a character as, you, as your lead to it really offers you the, the chance to be able to do that. Um, and I think that is a, an association thing, but also it might be a slight fantasy as well. So having a lead character is is really important for us, and he will be the uh, the figurehead uh, for the brand. And where his journey might go is 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 part of the exciting part. So uh, no, he's mm. uh, he's here to stay. And uh, what sort of when you're creating um, a, a new brand? albeit with a product um, that is um, well established but not necessarily well understood over here at least what are you um, having to think about when you've talked about the name and how you chose the name and how important uh, that sort of mythical figure is um, what other things are you having to factor into your thinking when you create an exciting new brand like this the main thing is why is a consumer going to take it off the shelf or um, pick it from from behind a bar, and that is the the key challenge for me with with uh, getting Cap Classique uh, 
well known in in the UK. If we think about the supermarket shelf in particular, you are so spoiled for choice when when it comes to to different sparkling liquids from proseccos to carvers to English sparkling wines to champagnes. Um, and for me to have any chance in what is a very competitive category to to cut through, you need to do it differently. Otherwise, you will be swimming in the same pool as, as everyone else. And um, that is, for me, where, where brand really plays a key role to elevate uh, the, the liquid that you're trying to sell, which, you know, as I said before, I, I know how, how great it is. And, and, and doing that is, is, to be honest with you, much easier said than done. It requires a lot of, uh, a lot of patience. Uh, again, I mentioned that with Stephen Carroll. Um, but also you need to be open to, to what people might re- be receptive to. So the brand is, is really important to me. And, and it's important in the beginning when people see the bottle on shelf or, as I said, behind the bar. But it's also important for the long-term success of the brand as well. Because what we continue, to, uh, the, the way we continue to evolve as a brand through how we communicate through digital or how we behave in events or the new kind of products we bring out is uh, the basis for giving this brand the, the best chance in, as I said, what is a competitive market. But uh, that's what I, I love about it in that it is a competitive market, but if I was to do it the same as, as everything else, then it wouldn't really stand a chance. It doesn't matter how great the liquid is. There's there's other people making great liquid from, from that region. So the brand is what brings people in and it's what keeps people there. And uh, that's what we're going to continue to to work on and, and continue to be as fun and, and exciting and, and talk about all the, as I mentioned before, all the, the wonder that comes from, from the, the Western Cape of, of, uh, of South Africa. And that geography is, is really important to you, isn't it? I mean, you've talked a, a lot about Cape Town. You grew up there, I think. Um, and you're clearly, you have a very sort of special place in your heart uh, for uh, the Western Cape. Yes. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, as I, I mentioned, well, I'm a quarter Norwegian, but I've got, uh, you know, I'm a proper Scandi at heart. And Scandinavians, they love to spend time outside, uh, being outdoors, exploring. Uh, Cape Town is, uh, well, it's the, the best of both worlds in that you have city, you also have beaches and mountains and all, all sorts of wonders from vineyards to amazing restaurants. And um, I think, look, there can be a lot of negativity coming out of of South Africa but if I can be any sort of uh, uh, promotion on what I think is is one of the most brilliant places in the world then then I will continue to do that and I think that uh, it's also what comes back to this 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 liquid that sometimes all the other stuff that comes out of South Africa can cover up what is all the exciting stuff and there is so much innovation and uh, you know so many exciting things coming out of that that the of the region but the whole of of africa um and uh, if i can continue to drive that forward or, or a positive message from that region uh, yeah i will continue to do so although i didn't grow up there i was only there for two and a half years which uh, on the basis of uh, of what i'm saying 
is amazing the job that it did to me or the way it seduced mm. me in, in, a, in a two and a half year period. Yeah, well, I can see why. I was there actually uh, myself uh, the week before last uh, for a, a week um, judging uh, wine for the IWSC. And the weather was glorious, even though it was uh, uh, already winter almost uh, there by now. Um, incredible, bathed in sunshine. It's just such a beautiful place. We ate so well. We drank so well. Um, yeah, no, I'm a, a fan too. Talking of drinking well, um, you've um, talked about the Cap Classique. We should also talk about some innovation that you've done um, in sparkling wine with um, sparkling mead. Yeah, so the sparkling mead was was um, one of the first products that, that Matthew introduced to me. It was a product that he, he had been brought in as a consultant to work on at, at the time. And mead, most people would know in the UK as the, the drink of the uh, of Friar Tuck, um, or, or or going back to what we were talking about with Scandinavia, uh, what the Vikings used to drink. And um, it has this stigma attached to it. But what they, uh, Matthew had been brought in to help, and the, the product that we went then brought out in, in, uh, in conjunction with a, uh, an amazing guy called uh, Dr. Ernst Thompson, was a uh, sparkling mead. But that doesn't mean just carbonating... Um, honeyed beer, it meant um, taking it through the same bottle fermentation product as the Cap Classique. And um, what that does is it gives you a very light, dry um, liquid that uh, only actually currently three people in the world are, are producing. And, you know, it, 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 innovation is, is, is key to it. It's um, honey it gives off a natural antibiotic, so it doesn't like being fermented. And um, to be able to do it properly um, is a real challenge. So Matthew was then brought in to, at the end of the product, once Ernst had, had worked out how to do this, to to try and bring it not to be the same as a, as a method cap classic, but have that same refinement. And he would then um, work on the disgorgement liqueurs, the same type of disgorgement liqueurs we use in our in our method cap classique which gives the consistent finish across the product and uh yeah it's a it's a it's a product that is great as an aperitif um great with uh, with cheese obviously cheese and honey as a as a natural partnership and um yeah um it's it's very small batch so we'll never um and we'll always want to keep it that way but uh there is uh there's been a, a lot of uh advocates and a lot of excited people about that product to date. Mm, yeah, I noticed on your website that it's sold out, which is a, uh, I mean, you mentioned it, it's it's small batch, but all the same, that's obviously a very um, encouraging uh, sign. How, how so far, uh, given the adversity you faced launching a product into the, uh, the lockdowns of the last um, few years, which was, I suppose, double-edged because we did drink at home uh, a lot during uh, these lockdowns. How are the products uh, doing? How have they been received? Yeah, they've been, they've been, it's been fantastic. Um, I talk a lot about brand creation and um, and uh, all the stuff that, that comes with that. You can create the best looking, what you think to be the best looking, most delicious brand in the world. But at the end of the day, if consumers are not picking it off shelf, then, uh, then you're wasting... Your, your your time and everyone else's but uh, the reception has been been fantastic you know what what's so nice for me is is to see people getting what i'm trying to do 
and, and when I say what I'm trying to do is that combination of, wow, this looks really cool. And then you open the bottle and you're drawn in already and then they taste the liquid and they just cannot believe that that level of quality from somewhere which to a lot of people from even in the UK might seem quite sort of far away and exotic. And uh, it's, uh, you know, we... Uh, we actually, again, on the, the Cap Classique, we, we sold out in uh, November, which wasn't great for Christmas last year, um, quite rapidly restocked. And uh, obviously with the shipping in the, the current climate is is difficult. But uh, no, the, the reception has been great. The, the sales have, have been really good. And um, uh, the rest of this year is going to be a, a really exciting year for, for the brand. And uh, that's mainly been driven through a combination of working through independent retailers who we can, at the age of, of the brand's development, we can work with them and their customer base to, to, to really tell them about the brand and educate them on the brand and, and the concept. And um, they've really helped us bringing uh, the brand to, to their consumer. And obviously online, which is which is which is still key, even though people are now out buying more in, in shops and, and spending less time on uh, buying direct from websites. But, uh, you know, if you look at Amazon, uh, people have become so accustomed to that. So it's only a natural thing for, for, for us to be on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I said, the, the, the rest of this year in terms of, uh, of sales uh, will be really interesting and really exciting. So, I, I, yeah, I can't wait. Mm, yeah, that tastes great. I mean, they're, they're really uh, very well-made products, both the uh, the Brut um, and the Rosé. So you've got those two at the moment. You have the, the sparkling mead as well. Um, what's next? Is is Van Hunks going to become a, a sort of overarching brand potentially for still wine as well? Not at the moment. So, and, and I must just say the, 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 the Brut and the Rosé and the sparkling meads are, are all down to, to the fantastic work of, uh, of Matthew Croner, who is, as I said earlier, is my business partner and he is just uh, an absolute legend when it comes to to bubbles and um i owe him a lot of thanks um for for those but uh, in terms of other things coming out our focus is is very much within the sparkling category without giving too much away we um will be bringing out later this year a a, a vintage van hunks um which uh, which will be a um, a five-year vintage that will be one of the first the first things to come out on top of what uh, what we've got out uh, in our current portfolio but uh, also without bringing out you know off our, our main thing is to focus on on the uh, the, the the existing products particularly the the cap classique and uh, to to continue to drive that forward both in the uk and um, other european countries but uh, yeah, focus for now is is very much on sparkling, um, and uh, that will hopefully mean a a vintage um, coming out uh, in in October this year. Mm, that's exciting. What would you uh, say to someone who kind of uh, wanted to do what you've done? You know, what what advice would you give to to someone who's kind of desperate to launch their own kind of drinks brand they've got a great idea but they just don't really have the confidence to know what to do next 
I think the, the main thing is to speak to people in the industry. I think the fantastic thing about the drinks industry, so many people are willing to give up their time and, and talk about their experiences, but also talk about where the industry is, is going and, and trends they're seeing. And I think obviously experience within the industry is, is, is really important. But at the end of the day, we've seen many people create drink express uh, who haven't spent thousands of years in, in, the, in the trade, so to speak. Um, so I think getting out there and talking to people uh, about your your idea is 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 so important. Uh, and as I said, people tend to be within the drinks industries incredibly friendly and and willing to give up their time. And they will be your best sounding board for 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 an idea, even how early on at a stage that your idea is. And and that's something that that I did um, for for Van Hunks, but also. I had learned so much from all these other brands that I'd worked on. So I think if you can combine a, a good amount of experience, not it doesn't have to be within the drinks industry, but p- maybe particularly within within the brand world, uh, and, and mix that with um, getting out there and, and speaking to everyone from bartenders to to brand managers, you're going to give yourself uh, the best possible chance. And um, I would say. Have a thick skin because uh, you know you're not always going to hear the answers you're going to want to hear. But uh, at the same time, that's that's the, the best way of uh, shaping how your brand's going to look when it finally comes onto uh, onto the market. Well, it's clearly good advice, and it's clearly from talking to you uh, what you've done to get um, as far as uh, you have as well. Um, so uh, thank you for that, uh, for the uh, advice for anyone listening. But also thank you for your time too, and uh, congratulations on the products. As I say, um, I-, I was um, I was super impressed, and Cap Classique is definitely a product that is sort of um, worthy of uh, of that sort of brand investment it's a uh, it's a it's a great product underrated as i said at the start so thank you very much tom good luck with the the vintage later this year it's uh, good to hear about that and thanks for joining us on the drinking hour thank you very much and uh, uh, a real honor to 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 be on here and and, and talk about uh, cap classique and uh, all i can say is is uh, people look out for, for van hunks as it continues its journey in the uk and as i said further afield so uh, yeah thank you to you david you're welcome The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, let's bring you our first selection of medal winners, as promised, uh, from the IWSC Hall of Fame. And first up, keeping it topical, uh, Tom and I were talking there about uh, Black Cow, that innovative milk-based vodka, well, it won a silver medal at the IWSC in 2022. If you're curious, here's the judge's tasting note. Aromas of cream develop into a rounded, smooth palate that has full-bodied creaminess yet lightness on the palate. Sweet, warming and silky with good length to finish. Need to try that one. Uh, next, a gold medal winning rum. Bacardi 10-year-old Gran Reserva Diez rum. Uh, This comes from Puerto Rico and it scored 95 points, winning it a gold medal uh, from a panel that included renowned rum expert Ian Burrell, a member of the Spirits Judging Committee at the IWSC. Uh, Here's the judge's tasting note. Lots of bright 
big fruit on the palate with a lovely level of sweetness, tropical fruit, cooked banana, and a silky, buttery, mouth-coating texture. Long and balanced finish. And finally for now, here's a silver medal winning Chardonnay uh, from California, Fetzer Vineyards, 1,000 Stories Chardonnay, 2020. Uh, this, uh, I think, was aged in ex-bourbon barrels. Uh, it's majority Chardonnay with 8% Viognier for aromatic appeal, presumably. Uh, the judging panel included me, um, along with uh, Barbara Drew, MW, uh, Whitaker Tepema, and Andy Crowther. And we said this, a delicate wine with restraint, Peach, melon and honeysuckle blend together with honey and vanilla. Really quite charming and warming. And uh, we'll have a couple more medal winners for you later on. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Now, it's been a while, but I'm delighted to say it's time for a long overdue catch-up with Freddie Bulmer, buyer for Australia, New Zealand, Austria and Eastern Europe at the Wine Society for a slice of life as a globe-trotting wine buyer. Freddie, welcome back. We've missed you. <laughs> Hello. It's nice to be back. I can't believe it's been so long, actually. Normally, we would say, gosh, has it been a month already? It only feels like two weeks. For the first time, it actually feels like a month, although it's probably been about, about three or something, hasn't it? Yes, almost. Um, <laughs> and I should say, first of all, actually, uh, I should doth my cap or get on my knees um, out of respect, I hasten oh. to add, um, yeah. because it's not just Freddie the wine buyer. Uh, this is Freddie, one of the top 100 most influential figures in the UK <laughs> wine business, no less. And that is official. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I was I was surprised to see that as, as you were. Um, it was, uh, you know, honoured, sort of slightly surreal. But uh, but yeah, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> well, I was unsurprised, actually, to be honest. But g give us the full spiel. Um, blow your own trumpet. You have a, a official permission. Tell us exactly what you have been awarded. Well, so there's the, the Drinks Retailing News do a top 100 uh, every year of, you know, supposedly the, the, the most influential people in the UK drinks industry. And that came out a few weeks ago. Not, well, not that long ago. And I got a, a WhatsApp message from my boss, Pierre, saying, you're the 14th most influential person in the UK drinks industry. And I thought, um, sorry, I beg your pardon. <laughs> he sent me, a, he sent me a, a sort of a photograph uh, of, the, of the magazine. And, uh, yeah, there I was next to the lovely uh, Helen McGinn, a.k.a. Knackered Mother, who is um, on uh, Saturday Kitchen, amongst mm -hmm. other things. Uh, and uh, many other lovely people from the trade. So, yes, it was an honour. It was very weird. My my mum um, said, "Can you please get me a, a copy of the magazine?" So, so I've done that and made her proud oh. finally. <laughs> oh, bless! I'm sure you made her proud long ago. But it's it is a, a massive uh, honour and and uh, and richly deserved. And I think you always judge these things uh, not just by the people um, who who you know well who have got an award, but by the others who are are there as well. You can sort of judge the credibility of 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 anything like this by by who they're uh, giving awards to across the board and as you say there are some real luminaries of the trade in mm. this top 100 aren't there 
Oh yeah, there's some amazing people. I mean, there's some well, some people who've been at it for years. There's some people who've really come into it fairly recently and really shaken things up. And yeah, there's the great and good. And obviously, you know, there's loads of other people who thoroughly deserve to be in there who who aren't in there. Um, probably deserve it more than I do. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a it's a real honour to be kind of in such such outstanding company in there. So I'm 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 chuffed. It's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I've made your mother proud. That's 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 wonderful. Exactly, well, that's what it's all about. <laughs> congratulations on that um, and uh, I, I'm talking but I, I was brought up by my aunt and I remember um, on a strike day at the BBC because I was managed when I worked there I had to work it was in my contract that uh, you, ah. you basically so I had to cr- cross a picket line which is grim in itself but, oh God, but then I was hard. on the, the network news as a, as a correspondent I was on the 10 o'clock news that particular night doing something about licensing hours and I remember <laughs> thinking well if this has done one thing and I've had a grim day of crossing picket lines and all the other horrors that that entails and I remember uh, saying to my aunt who brought me up I, you'll see me on the 10 o'clock news um, <laughs> thinking she'd be so chuffed and she she got in touch afterwards and said yeah I saw your report and I was like oh and what did you think and she said well I thought it was perfectly workmanlike in the circumstances <laughs> That's high praise How indeed, is isn't it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so actually, if you've genuinely made your mother proud, uh, that really, really good thing. Uh, not only has, have you been judged, as it were, but you've been judging too. Yes. You were judging at, um, at something that looked uh, great fun, uh, Fortnum and Mason's Awards, judging folk like me, actually. Yes. Oh, that was it was amazing. Actually, it was a hell of an experience. So yeah, every year, the Fortnum and Mason do their food and drink awards. And um, it, rather than judging actual food and drink, it's judging uh, books, articles, TV programs, podcasts, radio shows, all sorts of things. Um, and I yeah, I was invited to be a judge. You do it for one year and then they change the judging panel every year. Um, and it was a, an amazing experience. I mean, I had to pinch myself when I realized who I was uh, in a room judging with. Um, there were some really fantastically talented people on the on the judging panel who I've been quite in awe of. Um, but it was a, it was a really wonderful experience. Exhausting in, in many ways in that there's so much content to consume in the run up to the judging day. So you basically, as a judge, get given the, the list of all of the entries across all of the, the well, I was on the drinks team. So across all of the drinks uh, sort of channels, if you like, um, books, uh, there's best new book of the year, best drinks writer of the year. And we also did, uh, as the drinks team, we, we did the photographer of the year and TV program and so on and so forth have a deadline before which you have to have made all of your notes put your shortlists together as an individual judge and then bring that to the judging day and uh, kind of compare notes and come up with then you know the, the final shorts and winners and so on and i'm absolutely blown away by the sheer quality across the board i mean it was amazing and it was so exciting um to to see how engaging and i think it's so hard to narrow it down to a to a shortlist, let alone a winner. Um, and I, you know, I say this in all seriousness, but you know, there, there, there were so many people who, who could have won that, that didn't. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. A real experience that I yeah, feel very lucky to have been a part of. And it was mm. a good night out at the end at the awards do too, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah, that looked really, I saw your pictures on uh, uh, the likes of um, Instagram and it looked um, incredible and um, seriously uh, prestigious, um, the most, I think, 
um, uh, prestigious kind of awards of its kind to be judging too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a real honour and it was the 10th anniversary uh, sort of FNM awards this year too. So it was really special to be a, a part of it. I mean, it'd be amazing to be a, a part of it um, from a judging side any year, but in particular to be there to judge the, the 10th uh, year of the Fortnum and Mason Awards. So it was amazing. And um, and actually the, the uh, sort of awards do at the end is such a slick, smart night out. I mean, it was so well organised. You've got Claudia Winkleman there handing the awards out, which I had to sort of go, oh my God, that's, that's Claudia Winkleman. Um, wow. But uh, also the icing on the cake or the literal cake was that we were the first people to get to try the uh, the Jubilee trifle, um, which was being, the, the, I don't know if you saw on TV, there was the the competition to choose who was going to make the sort of the Jubilee cake or, you know, design and that was being That's broadcast right. at the time of the awards due and they said right it's been announced the the lady who'd won it was there at the awards due and they put out uh, sort of uh, individual portions of the trifle so i mean literally the icing on the cake it was uh, it was a fantastic experience and not a mere trifle uh, not a mere trifle um, no <laughs> probably the booziest trifle ever given that there was a trifle and a ton of booze but um it yeah. was uh, it was very good fun she, whoever designed it had the market in mind um, oh they did uh, clearly yeah also al alongside me uh, being judging at the uh, international wine and spirit competition uh, yes. wine awards uh, sponsors of this program of, of course uh, did you enjoy that I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's such a nice um, uh, awards sort of uh, body to be a part of. And I really try and get stuck in with as much judging at the IWSC as possible. Um, it's just a nice group of judges, you know, really uh, a top level group of judges. There's no egos, you know, there's it's just really well done and really well organized. And I mean, um, you and I both know, of course, Christelle, who we should give a shout out to, who, who's in charge of organising the whole thing. Um, and mm. she does such a great job. So it's always a pleasure. Um, and uh, I, I believe I'll be seeing you for the for the trophy judging day, which we've got coming up shortly, actually. Is it next week? Uh, that was a, 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 an amazing um, honour to be doing that uh, last year. Quite, quite the most uh, extraordinary um, environment of, of, of wine judging luminaries to, to find yeah. yourself among I could uh, you talked earlier on about sort of pinching yourself with your, your top 100 <laughs> place but I was uh, yeah very much uh, last year sort of pinching myself uh, um, for, for, for that too no it's it's a uh, um, and, and the, the, also the quality of wines that you're then assessing oh. because of course for those who, who don't know what the trophy judging means this is where we're judging the, the top uh, the, the gold medal winning wines and and seeing which are, are worthy of a of kind of best in show I suppose mm. yeah absolutely incredible I'm talking about best in show way um uh, you have uh, a, a tasting coming up at the Wine Society too for, for um, uh, people like me, um, a press tasting. <laughs> like um, it's the summer <laughs> edition. Um, I always enjoy these. Um, do you, you presume have been from your own portfolio selecting which wines you're going to put before us, us six, I guess. Yes, yes. So this um, uh, based this time, there's a theme where we base the wines around sort of sustainability stories, uh, which has really helped to create, I think, a really interesting selection of wines for this press tasting. So, I mean, as you'll know, but for the, for the benefit of the listener, um, at the Wine Society, we organise about three or, f three or four press tastings a year. 
um, where the great and good of the the wine writing uh, industry come along and, uh, and and taste through the wines and and you know hopefully they find some stories and some interesting things to write about. Um, and yes, this time we've really put the emphasis on sustainability, sustainability stories. You know who's doing what um, and really looking after. Doing their bit to look after the planet, I guess. Um, you know, that's maybe sort of a slightly, slightly grandiose way of putting it, but, but it is essentially the the, the case. Um, so I've got a nice selection of bits and pieces um, across my regions: Australia, New Zealand, and Austria, uh, in particular. And there's a wine which I'm really shining a spotlight on because. The same day as the press tasting is the Wine Society's AGM. How exciting. Um, but we're doing it sort of half online this time. So I've been tasked with selecting one of my wines uh, from the press tasting to also talk about for five or six minutes via some sort of video link to our membership. Uh, and that'll be um, a wine from a winery called Forage. They're called Forage Supply Company, which is the full name. But those guys are fantastic. And I think they, they sum up the sustainability angle really well, because not only do they focus on you know the planet and having as little impact uh, in, in that respect as possible, they also do an awful lot of work in their local community in South Australia, um, working with school kids, trying to make sure that they learn uh, enough about you know where food comes from. They also work with the local homeless community, uh, trying to help them kind of get back into work and so on. So they're really a really great example of actually how sustainability and wine isn't just about carbon footprint. You know, it's about a lot more than that, especially people. Um, so I hope you enjoy that one uh, in particular when you come along. But uh, yeah, it's. it's I think it's going to be a really good a really good tasting i mean you've you've been to a few of them now hopefully it's one that you look forward to attending <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> yeah no I, I really do and it's always very convivial as well there's a very relaxed vibe it just does feel a little bit different um, to certain other tastings it's always great to be able to chat to um, the buyers who are normally very well mm. represented that uh, you and your colleagues are um, if you're in the country are, are, are normally there to chat us through the wines and and what's motivated you um, to, to champion a particular wine because of course the, the role you're in you, you are having to make decisions um, between wines you can't sell everything um, yeah so uh, so no that that's always that's always really fascinating and um, by, by the flip side um, how how important is it obviously what really matters is what your members like uh, because yeah. they're the people buying it but how important is it to have that kind of um, critical um, validation as it were Oh, it's really important, absolutely, because I mean, every wine writer has uh, has a, a crowd of you know dedicated readers who really value their opinion, and um, it's a it's a really important thing for us to be able to work with people like yourself, actually, and uh, and I hope, of course, that you, that you like the wines, because then hopefully find stories, find interesting things to write about them. Which, frankly, I mean, putting it putting it in a fairly blunt way, I suppose, is good for business. You know, people people read what you've written, and um, and and hopefully written something positive and they, they're interested to find out for themselves. So it's a really, really valuable way for us to be able to, uh, I guess, spread messages, you know, tell stories um, through very talented wine writers um, and, and yeah, get the word out there about what some of these fantastic wineries are doing. And I, and I think that's important, you know, all, all the time anyway, but even more so as we move more towards talking about things like sustainability. I mean, that's such a big topic for us at the Wine Society at the moment. We've we've just unveiled a, a sort of a pretty major sustainability um, plan. Uh, and uh, of course, we've, we want to be able to make sure the stories 
from the wineries we work with would get out there so one of the greatest vehicles through which to do that is uh, you know through the the wine writers who you know we're great very grateful take the time to come along to our tastings and hopefully if nothing else they, they enjoy the wines <laughs> which is uh, well, you know always I'm good sure we will and, and the story on on sustainability um is, is is a really positive one i think it's fantastic to see um a long established and august institution like the wine society which which some people wrongly i think sort of regard as a little old-fashioned um to see it um taking a really uh, big step on sustainability making a really big commitment um yeah. on behalf of its members who of course own the society anyway um is a really really positive thing absolutely yeah it's something that we're really really committed to actually so um, we do have genuine goals to be you know real pioneers of, of sustainability within the wine industry in the uk for sure and we're taking already some really major steps towards doing that and it's not it's not a commercial thing, really. I mean, obviously, there's a commercial element because uh, in order to, to keep going as a business long into the future, I think we need to be working on sustainability now. Otherwise, I mean, there may not, <laughs> there may not be a future. That's very bleak, isn't it? Um, but we've really launched this major plan, um, which we're starting to work towards already. So we've actually dedicated a whole section of the website to this. So, I mean, anybody who's interested can go on the winesociety.com and there is a tab at the top of the page which says, sustainability uh, it outlines the the areas that we're that we're working within so of course climate is a major part of that but there's also uh, large parts of that work on uh, people you know caring for the people that are a part of the entire chain from you know the grapes being picked in the vineyard right up to uh, ending up the wine being uh, you know delivered to um, to members of the wine society but also a lot of work around um, making sure that we're sourcing our wines responsibly and ethically and and so on so it's it's a massive project we've got these key goals that we're we're sort of breaking down year by year so we've planned out right up until 2040 um where we ultimately want to be so it's it's really exciting i'm honestly i'm really proud to be at a business that's taking this so seriously uh, and not just greenwashing you know it's really putting our money where our mouth is and we've taken on a, a sort of a director of sustainability whose full-time job is to to see this project through maybe not till 2040 i mean who knows who knows who will still be around at working at the wine site in 2040 um i may well be but um but yeah it's it's great it's really exciting and and, and really promising i think and i guess you have to factor um, your own kind of travel and and being um, sort of thoughtful about that in terms of sustainability into any kind of plan. Although obviously that the bulk of, of of what really matters is 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 around you know the big things like glass and um, yeah. and, and 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 that kind of um, uh, impact of of that on on the sustainability picture. But I know you have been longing to travel again, and I, I think you've got a, a big trip coming up as well, haven't you? I do. I'm going out to Australia in October, which I'm very excited about because I haven't been there for, oh, well, I haven't been since 2019. I took on the Australia portfolio at the Wine Society in 2019, uh, managed to get out there on a trip and say hello to, the, you know, the suppliers who I'll be who I'd be working with. 
and then haven't been back since, um, which is a shame because the idea with an Australia trip would be that, you, you know, you get out there uh, once a year and uh, try and sort of see a handful of different regions each time, but uh, haven't been able to do that. So there's still some people that we work very closely with who I haven't yet met, but I'm going to be out there for well, about a month in October, which is um, which is amazing. I mean, it's, it's a testament really to how important relationships are at the Wine Society, um, that the business is prepared to kind of make that happen. But uh, yeah, it should be fantastic. So flying into Sydney and flying out of Perth. So it really is the um, the whole width of the country, which is fantastic. But it means then I'll finally get to meet some people that I've been working with uh, for three years now, uh, put some, some I was going to say faces to names, but you know, I've, I've done that digitally. It'd be nice to do that in real life. Yeah, really kind of get under the skin of, of Australia again, because you cannot beat getting out there and, uh, and and that's where you find the best value you make develop the best relationships and, and sort of really learn about the people that you're working with so I know that obviously having just talked about sustainability uh, a flight to Australia isn't uh, you know I guess the most sort of sustainable thing on the surface but when we talk about the things like um, you know the, the the kind of the people elements um, caring for all the people in the chain and our ethical and responsible um, sourcing and so on and so forth being able to actually get out and see people face to face really really helps with that side of things and and actually briefly it sort of ties in but we're we're looking to move into carbon insetting you probably heard of carbon offsetting where you essentially you know you take a plane somewhere and then you can pay a bit extra and they supposedly plant a tree somewhere to offset your footprint we are taking it upon ourselves to carbon inset which is instead of just paying a load of money and someone from an external business tells you they're planting some trees um we're looking to uh counteract the carbon footprint that that we create by investing in things within our own sort of sphere if you like so potentially working with the producers that you know the wineries that we work with at the wine society to help them uh with biodiversity um you know planting different types of you know who knows what but coming up with ways alongside the people that we have good relationships with to to offset anything like that flight to australia so we're it's a lot to think about but um Mm. it's all very exciting yeah i mean offsetting is controversial with some of course um because yes you are just paying someone else to deal with the problem plant bees or whatever but at the same time it's it's obviously better than doing nothing oh, of course um, in terms of um uh, you are at least um conscious of your environment mental environmental impact from the plane mm. ride and then you're you're doing something about it but um but insetting sounds really interesting so i look forward to hearing more about that as you um develop that uh, particular um policy and um the the trip um to australia sounds absolutely fantastic as well so yeah. um uh, ha- good luck preparing uh, for that um it's great Thank to you. chat to you and to catch up and look forward to next time freddie oh, i can't wait no it's been so nice to catch up david so thanks so much for having me again i'll speak to you soon a pleasure the Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Just before we go, we have a couple more medal winners for you from the IWSC Hall of Fame. Here's a Scotch whiskey to kick off. Uh, Kilcommon 100% Isla Scotch whiskey won 95 points, getting it a gold. 
the judging panel, which included a couple of master blenders, uh, Richard Patterson, OBE, uh, Daval Gandhi, as well as Joel Harrison, a familiar voice on the drinking hour here, of course, and Colin Hampton-White and also Jim Beveridge, um, a really uh, knockout panel. They said, wonderful, fruity, sweet black currants and strawberry jam, milk chocolate, nuts, honey and grass line a palate lifted by lemon zest. Long, sweet and smoky finish, sublime, they said. And to round off, a wine, another gold medal winner, a Chablis from La Chablisienne, uh, the 2019 Grand Cru from La Chablisienne, won 96 points, uh, getting it comfortably into golden territory, with the judges praising its opulent aromas of sweet ginger and cinnamon spice, with ripe peaches and cream giving a weighty mouthfeel, with layers of smoke, sympathetic oaking and veiny acidity. Complex and with a lovely layered long finish. And it is time for my own lovely long layered finish. Uh, that's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. Uh, my thanks to my guests this week, to Tom and also to Freddie. And thanks also to you for tuning in. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. And I am Mr Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, goodbye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.